silence in the midst. I don't know about you, but these days I find myself craving silence. In the midst of the din of distractions, disturbing news, and the daily noisiness of our on-the-go accessible culture, I seek silence. Of course, I love many sounds, music, birdsong, the voice of our daughter, granddaughter, or other loved ones, but I yearn for silence. I love the waves breaking on the shore and the cry of the gulls, yet I long for silence. As the poet Wendell Berry says in one, another one of his Sabbath poems, the mind that comes to rest is tended in ways that it cannot intend. It seems that bringing the mind to rest is what I am seeking, and silence provides the space to do that. I need that quiet to help me make sense of things in a world that by design puts me in sensory overload. Although it seems quaint now, there was a time in my lifetime and in most of yours, that Sunday, by design, was really set aside as a Sabbath. Even those who had no religious connection to the day of rest could benefit from a designated day when commerce was shut down. Banks and most businesses were closed, so people were inclined to slow down and do more quiet things at home. Now we are left to create our own boundaries around time. We must find ways to slow down despite the pressure to do otherwise, to bring our minds to rest. In his book, Silence in the Age of Noise, Erling Kegge writes about his own fascination with silence. He says, silence is rich, it is exclusive and luxurious, a key to unlock ways of new thinking. I don't regard it as a renunciation, he says, or something spiritual, but rather as a practical resource for leaving, living a richer life or to put it in more ordinary terms as a deeper form of experiencing life than just turning on the TV to watch the news again. So I believe him when he says that silence can be a key to unlock new ways of thinking as I have experienced it. Yet I struggle these days to find the stillness. I go through periodic news blackout periods <clears throat> when I don't read the paper, listen to the news, or check my all-too-accessible phone. These intentional periods help me gain some distance in an attempt to get back to my better self. I have begun to set limits around the radio when I'm in my car by myself, one of the few times when silence can be built into the day Yet, 
oh, how tempting it is to turn on the radio, NPR for me, and then inevitably I hear some something, one disturbing bit of news, and there I am, back into a sea of feelings, and all too often in my own reactivity, I might yell back at the radio, not my best thinking mind. So what I'm referring to are the external circumstances for silence that Erling Kegge, who is a Norwegian author, who has spent his lifetime exploring extreme places in the world. So in his own way, he knows silence more deeply than the rest of us. In 1993, he walked to the South Pole solo in Antarctica. And he describes the continent to be the most profoundly silent of anywhere in the world. Just for a moment, let's pause and let our imaginations go to the South Pole. What would that silence feel like? What would it sound like? Would it be sensory deprivation? Would it be just weird? Or would it be just incredibly awe-inspiring? Would you want to stay, or would you want, or would you begin to long for the noise of modern life? Setting aside the extreme effects of cold and loneliness of walking solo in Antarctica, I sense that the silence might be both awe-inspiring and terrifying. But even Erling Kegge, with his grand adventures, he actually went to both poles, North Pole and South Pole, and climbed Mount Everest. He still had to return to regular life in Norway. And not only that, he lives in a city in Oslo. So he, too, has to face the challenge of living in the noisy world of modern life to find the silence in less dramatic and consistent ways. And as a result, he has explored the inner world through the practices of meditation and forms of self-hypnosis. He says, I no longer try to create absolute silence around me, the silence I am after is the silence within. And this is the crux of the matter. I am always grateful for an opportunity to experience that external silence to help me become grounded. The shared moments of silence in our church service. A quiet walk in the woods with a companion. The intentional practice of sitting meditation. They all play a part. And this church has long provided space for meditation. 
and a place for people in the community, our own church community, and those from um, outside to come weekly and to practice meditation in Sangha, the Pali word for community in the language of the Buddha. In fact, for several years, we had two groups meeting, one on Sunday evening and one on Monday evening. And occasionally, I would hear from others who had joined one or both of the groups I would hear about how the experience helped them live their lives more calmly. But truth to tell, I had the feeling I might get bored or restless, sitting still, silently. My preference was to join a group that had a curriculum or a book to read. I love to work with words and to explore texts that help me ponder meaning and purpose. So offer me a class, and I'll do my best to be there, particularly if I get to read a book and then talk about it with others. This is still the true for me, but when facing a scary uh, medical diagnosis five years ago, I knew I had to start doing things differently to take care of myself. At that point, I joined the Sunday night meditation group, and soon after, I found myself going to the Monday night group. Instead of being bored, as I had feared, I discovered a whole new experience. I began to learn how to find the silence of myself, not only in the group, but more importantly, to become mindful in all the aspects of life. Uh, there are different forms of meditation that uh, people may practice, and here at the UU Church, we have mindfulness meditation, so that's what I focus on. And one of the things I learned was that community stays with me, even when I'm not there sitting with them. And it comes with me when I travel. So in February, I attended a teacher's conference out of state and discovered, to my chagrin, that our teacher's organization was sharing the same hotel and conference center with a political action group that I strongly oppose. In these days of polarized politics, that translated to extreme, extreme discomfort and distress. I found myself walking down hallways face to face with people who stood for policies and positions that I find unbearable. Any person wearing the telltale name tag and lanyards of the political group, of that political group, became the other. And I was lost in an overwhelming cascade of negative emotions, aversions, and reactivity. Now my school, had sent me to attend and present at a teacher's conference, but all I wanted to do was skip the whole event and fly home. Instead of focusing on learning new things about teaching, I was focusing on how to survive in what felt like a hostile environment inside that large hotel. To say the least, I had to tap into my most profound coping skills. So of course, I called my family and talk to them and ask them to send me some good vibes, please. And I also tried to write out some disjointed thoughts in my journal, 
which is something that often helps me. And as I made my mental chess checklist, uh, figuring out how I was going to deal with my emotions for this three and a half days that I was there, I thought about my UU meditation group. In my imagination, I was sitting with the group, meditating calmly, sitting silently with a group that I've come to love. Soon after, I quickly sent a text to Betsy Robertson, the meditation leader, and said, help. I asked her to do a metta, a loving kindness meditation for me and for all the people I was coexisting with in the building. Because a metta prayer starts with the person and goes beyond. And ponders and wishes loving kindness for all. I'm just going to read a short version of a meta prayer so you can hear. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be safe from inner and outer harm. May I be well in body and mind May I be at ease and happy. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be safe from inner and outer harm. May you be well in body and mind. May you be at ease and happy. You say some form of the meta often enough it does begin to create a shift inside. It begins to create a shift in the center of where you are. So while there, I began to work on finding the stillness within, a stillness that allowed me to calm down, at least for some of the time. I needed to soften my view of the other those other human beings I was with, and at the same time feel safe. Pulling on what I had learned about breathing and staying present with my experiences, I realized that I would be able to withstand the situation. And by the end of the conference, I did reach out to one of the folks wearing the name tag for the other group, and we chatted and at least exchanged some pleasantries. For those of you who know me well, it really did take me several weeks to recover after returning home. If I had known ahead of time that we would be sharing the hotel with this other group, I would have canceled, but unwittingly, I was there. It was decidedly draining to keep my equilibrium, but still, I am grateful that I had the connections to the meditation group and to Betsy. Returning to the story I told in the time for all ages, the story of the origin of the shoes, you can remember that the princess was vexed and annoyed because she stubbed her toe. A minor mishap to which she responded as if the whole kingdom needed to be covered in leather so it would never happen again. 
and she was demanding an edict that this be so. Now, I found this story in John Kabat-Zinn's book called Coming to Our Senses. Zinn, uh, who has written and spoken extensively about the topic of mindfulness medication, meditation, likens the princess's out-of-proportion response to our own flood of emotions that occur when we come in contact with some sensory trigger. Some sensory trigger that brings a negative response. So he says that mindfulness is like the shoes. The shoes are protecting us from the consequences of our own habits of emotional reaction. In that moment of contact, he says, we are free from harm, free from conceptualizing and from all vestiges of clinging. So while the inexperience at that hotel was intense and provocative, I still could use my shoes of mindfulness to help me navigate a challenging situation. And for that, I am grateful. So now let us shift back to the woods and being outside. And let's hear Wendell Berry's wonderful poem again. I go among the trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet. Around me like circles on water. My task lies in their places where I left them asleep like cattle. Then what is afraid of me comes and lives a while in my sight. What it fears in me leaves me, and the fear of me leaves it. It sings, and I hear the song. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings and I hear its song. After days of labor, mute in my consternations, I hear my song at last, and I sing it. As we sing, the day turns, the trees move. So be it.